0: So Money Episode Five Ninety Nine: Ask Farnoosh with Special Guest Bola Shikunbi.
1: You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a thirty-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life. Welcome to So Money.
0: Welcome to So Money everyone. I'm your host Farnoush Chirabi. It is July 14th, 2017. Welcome to the show. Happy summer. We are really in the middle of summer right now. And in a couple of weeks, I'll be heading out east to the beach. I'm looking forward to that. I haven't taken a vacation since uh, last summer. <laughs> so that's how busy I've been. Hope you all are enjoying the relaxing season, maybe taking an early Friday today and uh, getting ahead on your weekend. I have a special co-host today as I do now every Friday, and of course, if you want in on this, it's very simple. Just go to somoneypodcast.com and you can click on Ask Farnoosh and let me know there. Or you can email me, farnoosh at com. Let me know that you'd like to join in on the Friday fun as we dig through the mailbag and answer your money questions. Love having a co-host with me to go through what's on your money mind. And today we have the woman behind clevergirlfinance.com. Many of you may already know who I'm about to introduce, but Clever Goal Finance is a hot and -and up-and-coming financial blog for women by a fabulous woman. Her name is Bola Shakunbi, and she's here. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Farouj. I'm super excited to be talking to you today. I'm super excited to be talking to you. You know, as I said before, we were live. I said, you know, Bola, I'm, I'm I'm familiar with your brand. I think you've done a wonderful job developing a very cool approach to money topics, and your audience seems to be largely women. You have a certified financial education instructor license. How? What? What is that designation? I should I get one? Ah, uh, you might not need one for our news. <laughs> it's the CFEI, and it, I think you're already way past
2: that, to be honest. Uh, but yeah, it's been very helpful.
0: Okay. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I thought about getting the CFP, but I found that that actually was really restricting as far as the way that I like to give my advice. I have to be really watered down and very careful about what I say because I could get sued.
2: (laughs) Yes, I had actually looked at the CFP too. And I'm still kind of on the fence about it, especially because like you said, um, in terms of giving advice and how you have to say things and things like that.
0: Yeah, I find it's really boring when you sometimes have a CFP and you can't really go there with topics or get brutally honest, which is... What I like to do. But tell us about Clever Girl Finance. Want to brag about you a little bit. You know, Bola, ladies and gentlemen, mm-hmm. saved $100,000 when she left college. When most of us get into $100,000 in debt, not most, some, <laughs> you were able to save six figures. So, clearly, you know a thing or two about managing your own money? And now you're teaching the masses. But what, what was the idea behind Clever Girl Finance and how did it come about? Sure. So Clever Girl Finance
2: is, like you mentioned, a platform to empower women to take charge of their finances. And the idea for it, the inspiration from it really comes from a combination of how I was raised and my own personal experiences with money as I've gotten older. So I'm originally from Nigeria and I grew up in a family where my dad was the breadwinner. My mom was a stay at home mom. And as my mom got older, she, you know, she has four kids, um, she, as she got older, she started to see experiences that her friends were going through that she just didn't like. So for example, friends would unfortunately get divorced and be put out with their kids. And because they were not involved in the family finances, they would be left with nothing or in more unfortunate scenarios, you know, their significant others would pass away. And, um, again, they, because they had not, they didn't, have any knowledge about their family finances um it was just really a bad situation and she decided that she didn't ever want to end up that way even if her and my dad stayed married which they did she wanted to be able to um you know, contribute to our family finances and build wealth with my father as a team. So she decided that after she had me, I'm her last child, that she was going to go back to school. She never um, went to college, so I went with her to her college classes. Um, She got her undergraduate degree and she got her MBA and she started working and hustling and doing different things to save money. So fast forward several years, uh, my father, my father and my family went through a financial downturn where my father had to retire about 15 years earlier than he had planned. And in the grand scheme of someone's financial planning, that's a huge deal. And one of the things that my dad had done for my brothers was he had sent them, my three older brothers, he had sent them to school abroad in Europe and in the United States, because at the time, um, Nigeria was experiencing some economic and political instability. And so colleges and professors were on strike for months on end very often. And when this financial downturn happened and my father had to retire, he was basically like, listen, you're going to have to go to college here. I can't afford to send you to school abroad, given what's happening with us. And at that point, my mom stepped in and she said, you know what? I have the money. I'm going to pay for you to go to college. And she paid for me to go to college in three countries and she paid for it in cash. And it was a huge, pivotal moment for me. Um, Fast forward several years again, um, my next pivotal moment, Uh, Money experience was being able to save $100,000 in a little over three years, um, earning 54K before taxes, which is really like $40,000. And it was just something I challenged myself to do because of my background and what my, what I saw my mom experience with her friends. And so the goal with Clever Girl Finance is really to make the conversation around money easy and normal for us as women and um, to provide women with the motivation and encouragement that they need to work on their financial goals regardless of where they are with money. And it's also built on the foundation of no shame and no judgment because in my experience, a lot of women um, are very hard on themselves regarding the mistakes they've made with their money. And I feel that it's all about realizing that everyone makes mistakes. And it's about using what you learn from your mistakes as your stepping stone towards your success and establishing the right mindset around around what you want to accomplish. So that's, in a nutshell, Clever Girlfriend. In fine. a nutshell.
0: Well, Bolly, <laughs> what you've accomplished is not easy or usual. I think saving $100,000 in your early 20s is extremely rare. What... I get that you wanted to kind of carry the torch and be, uh, continue to live out your parents', you know, values. But why, why put so much pressure on yourself? That's a lot of responsibility and, and challenge in, in your 20s to do that. Was it, what was it? What was the voice in your head telling you?
2: I mean, one of the biggest things for me is the fear of being broke. And also just, I watched my mom console many of her friends. I watch her friends have to come and stay with us for a months because they had nowhere else to go. And my dad would always tell me, I want you to be your own person. You must never be a liability on a man. You know, a man is not a plan. So stand on your own two feet. And I just wanted to, at the time to me, I was young, you know, I was about 24 years old and saving that money was a challenge. And I was like, if I can do this, if I can cross the six figure mark with my savings, imagine what I can do. And it was a challenge for me. So that's really why.
0: Did you always want to help others with their money? At what point did you decide, like, I could do this for a living? I mean, obviously, you were doing well for yourself. Were you mm. always that girlfriend that your friends were going to for advice and finally you just decided to formalize it and make incorporate? <laughs>
2: Yeah. So when I started learning about money, because I moved from a different culture, a different country, and you know, money in America is different. And I started learning about money. I would talk to my friends about it all the time. I was the annoying girlfriend who always talked about money and <laughs> everything I learned, I shared. And as I got older, I got married, I had kids. I started to see some of what my mom was experiencing happening with her own friends. With my own friends, I mean, and I was getting to the point where, you know, I loved my job, but I didn't feel accomplished and I didn't feel like I was working in purpose and I wanted to spend more time with my kids. I was making a long commute into New York City and I was like, what can I do that I'm going to love that really matters? And it was money. It was like, talk about money. Teach women about money. You love money.
0: (laughs) And (laughs) now you do. Clever Girl Finance has a (laughs) blog. There's a podcast. There's a chat series. You probably have a course, I'm guessing. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> How did I know that? You are multi-platformed. I love it. So let's. Uh, you're perfect for this co-hosting gig because you come to the table with a lot of financial insights. And our first question is from a female, Heidi, and she's left a voicemail. We'll listen to her question in a second. But just to preface, you know, she is someone I think that is in the same camp like a lot of young millennial women and men, where she's kind of at a crossroads career-wise. She's not really sure what to do with her professional life. And she's got these student loans. So she's got got some pressure, financial pressure from that, but doesn't want to like, I think, well, you listen to it. Here we go. Here. <laughs> the big whole question. Here's Heidi.
1: Hi, Farnoosh. My name is Heidi. This is a question about career development in the fiercely competitive millennial job market. I did my master's in the U.S. I did a highly competitive internship, and I beat out eight other interns for the only available position. I worked that for a year, and then my visa expired, and I had to move back to Canada. Since moving home, I sent out hundreds upon hundreds of emails, uh, resumes, tailored covered letters, etc., I ultimately cast my net wider and ended up getting hired uh, somewhere not at all related to my field and doing secretarial work, so triaging emails and um, you know making restaurant reservations, etc. I sort of took this. Well, I took this job because I have student loans I need to pay down, and I continue to send out resumes. Hoping um, that something will happen. I put myself in front of anyone that could be of help. And uh, I've been doing professional development activities like uh, getting licensed here, um, volunteering, reading relevant stuff, blogging, all this kind of stuff, talking to people, trying to make connections... But recently, I've started considering applying outside of my field because at least maybe I could get something where I would be better compensated and it would be more challenging. Um, what are your thoughts on sort of jumping ship, giving up, as it were? And do you have any suggestions? Thank you very much. Okay, Bola. I,
0: I, feel, I feel for Heidi. You know, I mean, I, I didn't know, first of all, that the millennial job market was so competitive, but I guess it is. There's a lot of people graduating from college right now and working and wanting work and so she sounds like a super high achiever who got pretty far but since going back to canada i think uh she feels like her options kind of went away so should she i guess it's really two two paths she's considering continue to stay in the startup job, job that she doesn't love continue to apply for work that seems to be not that she seems not to be getting more meaningful work or maybe changing careers entirely to a a role that would pay better, where she'd be a little bit more challenged, but that would require totally jumping ship. What do you think?
2: I think there's absolutely nothing wrong with her casting her net outside of her field. And, you know, she doesn't have to veer too far out. She can look in a semi-related field. And I can definitely relate because I studied computer science in college and um, I thought I was going to be a programmer or a software developer. And when I came out of college, um, I couldn't find a job there. And so I looked for jobs. Really? You as a
0: woman couldn't find a job in tech? (laughs) What? (laughs) I know. Surprising, right? (laughs) All we all we need now is more women in tech and we can't find them. And there you were standing with a diploma.
2: I know. And so I, I looked for a job outside of, you know, programming and software development. And I found a job in business strategy and I kept my options open. I still was looking for jobs in my where I had my degree, but I ended up loving my job and I. As time went by, I actually was able to gain bigger opportunities because when I eventually did get a job in technology strategy, all of my business experience was relevant and it got me a higher income. So keep your options open and keep looking for jobs in your field, even if you take a job outside of your current field.
0: Yes. And because here's the thing, and I think you may agree, Bola, Heidi, you'll never find your perfect job in your 20s right? Or at least in your early 20s. We never have that dream job that we think we're going to have. And it's not to say that you're not going to enjoy your work. You're not going to find fulfillment at work. But, you know, that that quote unquote perfect job won't exist because you still haven't figured yourself out. And that's what your 20s are all about. So enjoy the ride. I hope that you are even in this job that she's at doing secretarial work. It may be not what she had imagined herself doing, but forget the work who maybe there's some interesting people around you, right? Maybe there are some other interesting projects going on around you that you can tap into. Um, Take advantage of your environment of your resources. And, you know, maybe the job description isn't exactly a dream but where you are, who you're with could, all, could be very rewarding. You just have to kind of put yourself out there. And speaking of putting herself out there, I love that she's volunteering, um, she's blogging, she's getting licensed. This is the exact right stuff to be doing right now to continue learning and putting yourself out there. Sending resumes out is not how people find jobs these days. For the most part, it's through networking, relationships, uh, connecting with people. So as much as you can, Heidi putting yourself out there, challenging yourself, meeting new people, introducing yourself to people, even though sometimes you hate it, just, you know, getting out there, I think is a great investment of your time. And no doubt, I think this time next year, um, you may find yourself in a much happier place and a place that maybe you didn't even think you would be in, but here you are and you're happy. So that would be my advice is just kind of, you know, give it time, do the right moves, which you are doing. And um yes, cast a wide net. And like you said, Bola, you know, maybe look at some tangential careers or industries where you can, maybe it's not like jumping ship entirely, but you're, you know, pivoting a little bit. We like that word around here, pivoting.
2: <laughs> exactly. So keep your options open, Heidi. And Enjoy the ride and do things you love while you can do them now, like yeah. volunteering, blogging, you know, because know, and- when you
0: have two kids, forget it. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know, Bola, you have twins. So it's a lot more challenging when your life gets fuller in, in, you know, and it's, we love our families and we wouldn't trade them in for the world. But, you know, the, if I could go back in my twenties, I think I would do more connecting and trying new things and taking risks. Visit simplysafe.com slash money. You'll get free shipping and a sixty day risk free trial. Be sure you go to simplysafe.com slash money so they know our show sent you. That's simplysafe.com slash money. Okay, Catherine, why don't you read Catherine's question for us, Bola? She's overwhelmed.
2: Okay, so she says that she's totally overwhelmed by her debt and she doesn't know where to begin where to begin so she'd like your help she has both credit card and medical debt and they're as follows she has one credit card with $2,900 on it and it has a 16.9% interest rate she has another credit card with $4,800 on it and it has a 1624 interest rate a hospital bill worth 2100 which is now in collections and so that brings her total debt to 9800 and she brings home roughly 1100 every two weeks from her job how can she tackle the debt while also trying to save. She's 35 now and doesn't want to be 36 with a mountain of debt.
0: All right. So before we get into the math, I think that I will take a page out of uh, a recent interview I had with John Kapitanaeus. He is a producer for ABC News. He was on the show earlier this summer. This guy got out of over $100,000 in debt that's a combination of credit card debt and student loans um, within two years. And how did he do it? He said, Farnoosh, how fast you want to get out of debt depends on how uncomfortable you're willing to get. (laughs) (laughs) So Catherine, how uncomfortable are you willing to get? You have about $10,000 in credit card debt. You do not want to be $10,000 in credit card debt this time next year. And really, there's a Few ways you can tackle your debt, it's not rocket science, but how aggressive you want to be is really about what kind of trade-offs you're willing to make. Now, something that I like to do to come up with cash quickly or get out of debt quickly is make more money. Bola, would you agree making $1,100 every two weeks from her job is probably not going to be enough to pay off this debt and save and pay your bills?
2: Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you on that. She needs to look at increasing her income.
0: Yeah, that's what I would prefer to do first, be, instead of cutting back. Now there may be some ways that you can cut back, cut back and save yourself a couple hundred dollars a month, depending on your lifestyle. That's you know up to you and that's your discretion. But I think that picking up some side gigs, doing some extra work. What did you do, Bola? When you made a hundred thousand dollars in three years, like what were some of your? I know you had some revenue coming in additional to your job.
2: What didn't I do?
0: Yeah. right. <laughs> I mean, so
2: I did cut back. I mean, I was on a steady diet, a horrible diet of ramen noodles and Coke. Uh, oh, but I ugh. also <laughs> don't try it guys, yeah. but I also, um, started a side hustle and I, when my friends were hanging out and taking fancy trips and things like that, which was great. I was doing wedding photography on the side. I got a camera and I was figuring out how to, um, make more money. And so, Catherine, you definitely, you know, if your schedule allows it, you know, you want to look into increasing your income. Can you get a part-time job and, you know, look at cutting back and it might not save you that much, but you want to think about becoming aggressive with paying off the debt because when you look at it, $9,800 and I don't mean to minimize it in any way, it's not that much in debt and you can definitely pay it off within a year, but you have to like for new set decide How uncomfortable are you willing to get?
0: You know, making extra money on the side is not just a short term opportunity to pay off debt. It could turn into something more exciting. You don't know. I mean, putting yourself out there again, like we were talking about earlier with Heidi's question, trying new things, bringing in extra money. In the meantime, you know, you're paying your bills more aggressively, but it could inspire you to shift your career or. Do this side gig more permanently. With getting out of debt, there's the snowball effect, right? Where you start with the debt that is the least amount, pay that off first, so you feel really good, and then you you move on to the next uh, highest balance, and you aren't really interested in interest rates. And at this point, it sounds like her interest rates are pretty even across the two cards: 16.9, 16.24. The hospital bill is in collections, and. I would say that before you pay that off, Catherine, call the collections agency and see if they will negotiate with you. And as part of the negotiation, you want to be 150% sure that when they report how you paid off this debt, that it says that it was paid on your credit report so that it won't negatively impact your credit any longer so that it actually goes to benefit you down the road that you did pay this off and you want to make sure that that is in writing. You know, you can also do the avalanche approach, which is to start with the lowest interest rate, which is, you know, at this point it's it's a fraction of a difference, but it is that card that is with $4,800 on it, 16.24%. So with that card I would do a little bit more than the minimum and paying the minimum on the other card, And the hospital bill, you know, if you can negotiate that lump sum negotiations usually get you the best kinds of deals. You say, Mm. I'm going to pay you, you know, $1,500. I'll wire it over and it'll be in your bank account. Let's call it a deal. And then the only thing that you want in return is to make sure that your credit report reflects that you paid it. So yeah, that's, that's the math. But really, I think to do this aggressively in 12 months, you need to bring in more money or you know, get rid of some major expenses, maybe move in with a friend or a relative for a year and cut back on right. rent. Maybe on top of that, you know, you'd go on the ramen and Coca-Cola diet <laughs> like Pola did, or some variation, uh, but you get the, you get the picture. Catherine. I think people, you know, people know what they have to do. They know, they know they can't just keep status quo if they want to get out of debt. They know they have to make some big shifts, but then they ask me because maybe I'll give them I'll, I'll, I'll smack them with some reality. I don't know. Yeah. It, <laughs> helps, it helps to hear it from somebody else.
2: Furnish, I'll just add that. I think that, you know, having a debt repayment plan will help her manage that overwhelm. But I also think that a great motivation for her would be to follow the journeys of other people paying off debt, especially in the personal finance community. And there are a ton of blogs out yes. there. Yes. There's a ton of red directories of people sharing personal stories um, and them chronic- chronicling their journeys and their challenges as they pay off debt. And like I mentioned, $9,800, if you can increase your income, you can get this out of your life very, very quickly. So get aggressive, girl.
0: Yeah, John Capitaneus can get out of six figures in two years, you know, on also a you know, reporter salary, which is not huge. He did a lot of extra shifts. He worked constantly, he said, and that was his trade off. He didn't have a life for two years. Now he's debt free. Okay, Monica, she has two questions for us one on investing, actually, both on investing. She first wants to know Bola, you know, she works with an investment platform, these robo advisors, which uh, we talk about on the show. I'm a, I'm a fan for the most part of these. Uh, automated platforms. She says they charge a monthly advisory fee of a quarter of a percent. And then there is a fee embedded in the cost of the ETF averaging 0.12%. She wants to know is this a good deal? I think so. I think so. I think it's probably as good as it gets, right?
2: Yeah, I agree. And kudos to her for making herself aware of the fees. Yes. Not- people do that.
0: <laughs> right. People. Hear that they should know what the fees are, and they're like, "Well, what do you mean? I pay my advisor one percent, isn't that just it?" And I say, "No, no, no! You gotta look under the hood, look." And and they go, "How do I find this out?" And I I just say, "Ask, you know, ask your advice If you're working with a financial advisor, or you have a, a relationship with an, one of these automated platforms like a Wealthfront, a Betterment." you are 100% in the right to know what these fees are. And usually they're very upfront. They'll be in their frequently asked um, questions section or about us or look, you know, there's, it's, it's there. You just have to spend a little time on their websites, but they will tell you what the average or the exact fee is for every single investment that they are putting your money towards in your portfolio. On top of that, there's usually an additional fee. Now, 0.25%, relative to the usual one to one and a half percent that certified financial professionals will charge you is a huge savings. And remember these fees compound, right? You're not talking just about a one-time fee. This is money that you will, this is a fee that you'll be paying continuously for the duration of your investment period. And it compounds. And so that's why fees are so important to be aware of and to avoid I think because by the time you retire, you're talking six figures potentially in just fees that you could be paying that you don't have to be paying. So good work with that. And then she's got another question where she's got $30,000 for a house down payment and wants to know if now would be a good time for her to buy an investment property. She has no debt aside from a $9,000 balance on a car loan. I don't know much about her financial situation other than what she's told us. And I don't know where she even lives. So it's important that you do survey the market, Monica. So it's one thing if you have the financial bandwidth to invest in a home and as an investment, we're not talking a residence that you would live in full time, like maybe this will be a rental property. You need to survey the market. What will it require for you to become cash flow positive? What kind of rent is the market getting right now? And what will you need to do in order to make sure that you're not just breaking even, but that you're actually cash flow positive? Because that's only really when an investment property would make sense. You can't be 100% sure about everything, but do your research. Maybe work with a real estate uh, advisor or an agent who knows the location where you want to invest very well. Talk to other investors in that town or in that area. Get to know what's working, what's not. Just know that for second homes, the banks usually want a larger down payment than they would with a primary residence. And they're a lot more critical of the loan applicants. You know, they want to make sure that you definitely have a very low debt to income ratio. So if you've got $9,000 left in that car loan, my guess is if you had $0 on that car loan, that would mean maybe a better interest rate for you on the loan or a a better chance of qualifying for the amount of the loan that you need. Do you have any property, Bola, or do you own, do you rent?
2: Yeah, I actually own and rent um, to other people. And so just based on my experience and what I know about how investment property works, I would definitely tell her that you want to, if you find an investment property that you want to buy, you want to determine what you're going to need to ramp up your or bulk up your emergency fund by. And you're going to have to factor in the cost of maintenance because now that you are the landlord, you're going to be responsible for, you know, a lot of things that have to do with the house. And you want to make sure that you compare those costs against what the property is going to be earning you. And it's also really important to keep the major expenses in mind before you purchase the property. So things like the roof, air conditioning systems, heating systems, any renovation work you're going to have to do as people move in and out of your property, those things cost a lot of money. And you want to make sure that when you factor in those expenses over time, that you're not just breaking even, but you're becoming cash flow positive as Farnish mentioned. So it, it might sound really cool to own an investment property because everyone's doing it, but you want to make sure that the numbers work for you.
0: Yes. And thank you for bringing up all those ancillary costs that we we don't always factor in, you know, usually just factor in the mortgage, the you know, real estate taxes, maybe insurance, but then we forget about repairs and maintenance and air conditioning. Great points! And she also says that she likes to co host. Well, Monica, I'd love to have you. So, write back and tell us a bit more about yourself and a way to get in touch, and we'll hopefully make it happen. And last but not least, a question from Andrea I'll let you uh, tell us what is on Andrea's money mind. Bola.
2: Okay. So, Andrea says, our new mortgage company does not accept bi-weekly payments. What solutions are there to handle bi-weekly payments without extra
0: fees? I would go back to the bank and ask, hey, I'd like to get a little more aggressive with these payments. Um, I don't want to have a 30 – maybe you could refinance to a 15-year mortgage, which would be a little more restricting, but maybe ultimately giving you the same – opportunity uh, of getting out of debt faster. Maybe you could do one extra monthly principal payment a year and that may be okay with your bank. I would say call back the lender and speak to someone. Let them know what your goal is and what you can do. What are the workarounds to avoid fees? Any advice, Paula?
2: I think that, yes, yeah, like you said, she definitely needs to call and find out what the associated fees are. And also if there are any fees, if she makes an extra payment on top of her monthly payment. So there's a simple hack that she can do because I know a lot of people want to make biweekly payments in order to be able to pay an extra mortgage payment um, in a year. So what she can do is she can take her current monthly mortgage payment and divide it by 12 and then take that amount that she gets and add it on top of her monthly payment, but have it designated to her principal. Yes. So for example, um, verbal illustration, um, if her mortgage is 1200, she can take that 1200 divided by 12 and she'll get a hundred dollars take that $100 and add it onto your monthly payment and start making payments of $1,300 a month. And you will make up that extra payment without getting the fees for biweekly payments.
0: There you go that's a great tip. Thank you for that. And so just ask your mortgage company. I'm sure they're familiar with what you want to do. And they, they probably have other borrowers that are in the same camp. And hopefully they have uh, a workaround for you. You know, I, I've gotten these letters in the mail before. It's like, we can set up bi-weekly payments for you. It's just $360 to do it. <laughs> and I'm like, what? Why would I pay you to do something that takes me six seconds? I can go online and just Instead of, audit, like you say, instead of paying 1200 do an automatic $1,300 a month. It's yeah. ultimately the same effect. And make sure, like you said, that that extra payment does go towards principal and it's not just uh, an additional mortgage, quote unquote, mortgage payment that includes interest and principal. You want it to go specifically towards principal because that will uh, ultimately knock down your debt faster and yes. you'll pay less interest over time. Bola, thank you so much.
2: This has been awesome, thank you so much for It's an honor and a pleasure.
0: Tell us about your podcast. I know that you this is something that you've also done as a an additional way to get out there and reach your reach your audience.
2: Yeah. So I have a podcast called Clever Girls Know. It's on iTunes and SoundCloud. And it's a very laid back conversational podcast of me just sharing money advice and my personal experiences uh, with money and having guests on. It's a fun conversation, very easy, no judgment, no shame. And sometimes I make people laugh too. So
0: (laughs) (laughs) definitely check it out. Well, if coming on the show was any snapshot of what you are like on your podcast, I say everybody go and subscribe because you give great advice. You're totally approachable. You're friendly, and we did have a good laugh here and yeah, there. It was fun. Clevergirlfinance.com. Any other ways to find you?
2: On Instagram at Clevergirlfinance, I have a really fun community over there. So join us! And uh, on the podcast, clever girls Go.
0: Will do. Bola, thank you. And thanks to everyone for tuning in. Again, if you want to ask a question for us on the Friday episode, go to somoneypodcast.com and click on Ask Farnoosh. Hope you have a great weekend, everyone. I hope it's So Money.